we're going to be for, for the next quite a few weeks is both laying a biblical foundation and casting biblical vision. So we're going to lay the foundation of, of why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe, why we are what we are, and, and then we're going to think about the future. And, and so I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. What we're going to do over the next three weeks in order to lay this foundation properly is we are going to be looking at what we call the Protestant Reformation, uh, specifically uh, what we call the solas, and we'll explain that not only this morning, but also in the weeks to come. But it would be ironic for us to, to, to preach on what we're calling sola scriptura and not have a good scriptural text this morning. So let's, uh, let's stand on our, with to our feet. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Remember, this is Paul writing a letter to Pastor Timothy. He says in verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the simple things of life that we've enjoyed this week of, of family and a, a job to do, of rest to enjoy, of a house to live in. And so, Lord, now we come to you as your people gathered today in the name of your son to understand that what we stand on so comfortably this morning people laid their lives down so that we could stand here and God may we not in ignorance think that history does not matter to the future so Lord let us Love you with our minds this morning. Let us love you with all that we are in the weeks ahead. So that we may move forward by faith into that that you have already prepared for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So last week we literally looked at the foundation. The foundation of the church in Acts 2. We, we talked about these essentials of a healthy church. Now we're, we're laying more on that foundation, looking at what we believe. To do that, we're going to go back to the beginning, not of the church, but of something we call the Protestant Reformation. Matter of fact, I have quite a few books on the front here that, that, that are help, have been helpful to me. I'm going to quote from one of them here this morning. And they're just there if you wanted to take a picture of them, if, if this pricks your interest because I'm only going to hopefully create a little bit of an itch that I hope you'll want to scratch more and deeper. Why do we believe what we believe? I, I can't even begin to touch everything that the Reformation did and, and caused and caused. So I want to lay out some presuppositions. These are things that we believe 
that I'm bringing to the table that I'm, I do not have time to deal with. But listen, if, if any of these things that you are questioning or troubled by, I would be glad to meet with you personally about them because there is a lot that could be said. The first is that God's word is trustworthy. The second is God's words are God's very word. So it's natural that if God's, this is God's very word, then it attests to its own authority. For where would we go to prove if this is the highest authority? And so we're, that's what we're saying on. This is our presupposition. We're saying this morning without shame that the canon of Scripture is closed. It contains 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New. And when it comes to the Reformation, there really was one word. They drew the proverbial line in the sand. Because, see, throughout history, beginning in Acts and carrying through to present day, the church, with all its problems, believed in grace and Christ, faith and Scripture. The problem began when a group of men began to use this one word, sola. Means alone. This word alone began something. It 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 lit a match. And though there were many issues raised and dealt with, there were two causes of the Reformation. Two causes. One's called the material cause. One's called the formal cause. The material cause and the formal cause. Now, before we get into that, let's just think about these words, Protestant. What that is saying when we say we are Protestant is we are saying there is something, there is something, there is something, there was something, there is something going on that we are protesting about, that we are not okay with, and that we're not just going to sit idly by and swallow something. The question is, what caused these first men to say, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I got a question. Why are we? Why are we doing this? Where is where is that in the scripture? Reformation means that we're returning to something. It doesn't mean that we are creating something new that we believe. We're not saying that we were in a cave somewhere one day and some guy got some, some, some tablets that dropped out of the sky and we formed a belief system around it. We're saying we were turning to something, namely Scripture. Two issues. The material cause and the formal cause. I, I think you can understand this better by me just asking two questions. Two questions that, that these, these guys begin to ask that changed everything. The first was this. How is a person redeemed by Jesus Christ? That's the question. How is a person redeemed? It, it isn't that anybody at that time believed that people need to be redeemed. They did. The question is how? How were they redeemed? The Catholic Church answered it this way. Christ plus the church. Christ plus the sacramental system. 
Protestants said, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the work of Christ alone. This was the material cause of the Reformation. There was another question. And you could see really a more foundational question. Who has the sole authority for faith and practice? Who has the sole authority to dictate what the church does and how then shall we live? The Catholic Church. Scripture plus tradition. The Pope. The church. Councils. And if you think about it hard, and if you study your history, what the Catholic Church did is set the church as the ultimate authority by which the Scripture was subservient to the church. Protestant says no. Scripture alone is our sole authority. That was the formal cause, the foundational cause of the Protestant Reformation. It didn't begin with a big bang. You know, it, it, it wasn't intended to. The, the first guys that, that sort of laid the foundation that struck these little matches of these little embers that were burning in different places did, did not mean to start a reformation. They, they merely wanted some things to see some things change within the church first thing they wanted was foundational. It, it sounds to our ears like so simple. They just wanted people to be able to read the Bible. How many Bibles do you have? Right? I don't know. Mine's, mine's on a stack on the bookshelf. I can't put them this way. Take up too much room. We have them stacked up this way. That wasn't the case. If you're going to understand the issue here, you've got to be able to understand people imagining being a believer or at least thinking you are a believer. Some for generations after generations, but you didn't have a clue what Scripture said. Why? Because it was in a language that you could not read nor understand. It was not only in that language, it was, it was out of that language. Your parents couldn't read it or understand it. Their parents could not read it or understand it. The only way they can understand it is just a few priests. The embers began to burn with a man named William Tyndale. William Tyndale. This is his desire. Wasn't trying to cause no trouble. He just wanted people to be able to read the Bible. At, at the same time, there was this guy called Martin Luther. And in, as in 1522, Martin Luther began to print the German New Testament. At the same time, William Tyndale had the same desire, but what he had in his mind, what he longed for, was for people to be able to read the Bible in English. And so he, he set himself to it, and in 1525, the first New Testament Bible was printed. John Knox recounts, I'm going to quote it from this book. It was an interesting conversation that Tyndale had over supper. He said, Master Tyndale happened to be in, a, in the company of a learned man. And in the, 
in the communing and disputing with him drove him to that issue that the learned man said, we would be better off without God's law than the Pope's. Master Tyndale, hearing that, answered, I defy the Pope and all his laws, and said, If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth a plow shall know more of Scripture than you do. And that's exactly what Tyndale determined. Tyndale gave his life so that me and you this morning, it's, it's overwhelming to me personally. It changed my life and my testimony. That I, I begin to understand this guy, if you've got a King James Version in your lap that you like to read, that's his words. Most of those were his words that he penned so that we could understand what Scripture was saying. He did this under constant threat and persecution. And so he did get out the first New Testament. And as they began to circulate, as the people began, began to read, the fire began to, to build. There was this really cheesy movie. You can probably find it. You just got to be prepared for how cheesy it is. But it, but it's, but it was a movie on William Tyndall's life. And it, it, had a, it had a place in there that was just especially just impactful as a guy named Peter Quintel, who, who was printing the, the first New Testament, he, he was, like everybody else, couldn't read Scripture. And, and so he puts this one page on, and he, he presses it down, he, he unpresses it, and he, he pulls it up, and in the movie, this is what he reads. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbals. And if I have the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if I give my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now imagine with me, if you can, that you've never read the Bible before in your life. For the first time, you can read it. Tyndale gave his life. At 42 years old, William Tyndale was deceived by somebody close to him. He was tried, he was strangled, and he was burned. But it was too late. For not only him, but our many other brothers had already lit the match that would become the Protestant Reformation. Four foundational ways of thinking, convictions, came out of this. Scripture alone is living. It is living. John 6, 68. Protestants agree with Peter. When people began to leave and Jesus said, are you going to go away too? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Your words are the words of eternal life. When we pray, you see, we talk to God. When we read Scripture, He talks to us. This was the foundational conviction. Listen to Martin Luther. The Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. Scripture alone interprets Scripture. The clear text explains the hard text. Scripture alone interprets you. 
interprets me. I know no better text. This passage, I don't think, is in your notes. But you know it is Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 summarizes these convictions. It would not be right to have a, a biblical conviction that's not biblical. <laughs> Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is what? Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's interpreting us. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him of whom we must give an account. Scripture isn't true because we like it. Scripture isn't true because it makes you comfortable. Scripture isn't true because it produces some experiential fuzzy feeling inside of you. Scripture is true because it is the very words that come from God. And it is the only word that gives us life. Then, if that's the case, the fourth conviction is it stands over all other authorities. This is why the issue of authority was the formal cause of the Reformation. This is the reason why we must start here this morning and say we are people that must be sola scriptura. And so let's look at the text. Let us go to the text. The main idea of Scripture alone is the sole authority for the church and for our lives, both in faith and practice. Simple this morning. Turn now, turn back with me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? First little section here. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture, graphe, that means sacred writings, is breathed out. That means that's where we get the doctrine called the inspiration of Scripture. It is inspired by who? God. So all Scripture... All sacred writings are breathed out by God through human authors. This is what we call the dual authorship of Scripture. Now t- turn with me to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. A couple of passages here to understand. 2 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 21. Authors of the Bible are both human and divine. Knowing this, first of all, verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along. They they were supported. In context... Paul is telling Timothy that all the Old Testament scriptures, that's what he's referring to. But if you got Peter pulled up, just flip over to chapter 3, 2 Peter 3, verse 15. Peter says, And count the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our 
beloved brother Paul, also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them, this is comforting, isn't it, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other what? Sacred writings, Scripture. So we have both the Old and the New Testament are sacred Scripture. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes two places in Scripture encouraging Timothy. He says, for Scripture says, 1 Timothy 5.18, for Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That's one quote. And the laborer deserves his wage. Second quote. You see that? He's quoting two places. So the answer is where they come from. The first one comes from the Old Testament. The second one comes from Luke 10, 7. It was a direct quote from the Lord himself. This is Scripture. If, that's, if, if Scripture alone is our authority then man's words, man's traditions, man's opinions, and man-made authority are not. It's an if-then conclusion that was foundational to the Reformation because, you see, the Pope, that is, the church, was considered to have authority. That authority equaled power to grant forgiveness, to forbid entrance, or to grant entrance, and to set the conditions both directions. They created new doctrines that were not in Scripture. They alone could interpret the meaning of Scripture in anything as it pertained to the church, in anything as it pertained to your life. Foundation number two, you see, this is the important aspect that we see in the text. Scripture alone is the sole authority for the church. For the church. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now pay attention to some of the words that are, that are in the subpoints. Scripture alone is necessary. You see that word? Necessary to determine our doctrine. I'm getting at the necessity of Scripture. It is necessary when you go through new member equip here, you're going to see that we believe a whole lot more than this, but to, to join with our family, you need to understand and believe and with four cores. The answer is, did, did we just sit around and say, you know, I like this one. This one's important to me. You know, I don't want nobody coming into our church unless they believe this. It's just, just what I believe. No. No, Scripture determined that our first core was that the Bible is God's word and that it must be proclaimed and obeyed. What we are saying is Scripture determines the content of our proclamation and Scripture determines the pattern of our life. Everything in the life of the church. Our second core is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're going to look at why that is our core next week. The church is the family, third core. The church is the family of the redeemed with a clear purpose. The church is the family of the redeemed with a clear purpose. In other words, Scripture determines 
the conditions that one enters the kingdom of God. Not me. You see the difference? If, if I say Justin, blah, 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 and Justin goes back and says, well, I hate to tell you this, but Scripture says this. Which one should he conform his life to? What Scripture says. What Scripture says. Scripture teaches how we enter the kingdom of God. And Scripture gives us our God-given purpose. Fourth core. The family is God's chosen institution. And it must be protected and it must be strengthened. And here's what we are saying that. What we are saying is that the Bible defines and designs marriage. And we could not care less what the culture said, how we should define it. It, it defines it. It's designed it. It comes from God because those are God's words. He created it. He made it. It is His. We cannot change it. One man, one woman for life. Scripture teaches us that a man and woman have complementary but distinct roles in the home and in the church, and in so doing so reflects the Godhead. We seek to strengthen it. Whether we are single or whether we are married, we should be pro-family. That's what the Bible says. Not only that. Scripture tells us in the life of the church that there's two ordinances. There's not three. There's not seven. There's two. The Lord's Supper and communion. And then Scripture alone tells us how we should administer it. We, we celebrate it here every week. Its meaning and its purpose is found right here for the life of the church. Not only that. But how the church governs itself is told to us by Scripture. It says we have two offices. They are both plural. And there's the office of elder and the office of deacon. And that's why we are elder-led here. Not because we think it's a good idea, but because Scripture tells us to. Scripture alone is necessary to set the bar for the church. I want you to just listen to this. Again, this is a New Living Translation. I, I think it's just helpful um, understanding what I mean by to set the bar for the church. Listen to it. Just reading the scripture again in a different translation. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You see that? It's simple. Scripture is necessary for that. Matter of fact, listen to this. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says this. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. You see that? Scripture is not just a bunch of to-dos that we're supposed to do. Scripture is the place that gives us hope. I thought about that. We were walking back. We've got some family that lives on land. We own about 50 acres. And I was walking down the driveway after a birthday party, and it was already pitch dark outside. And we have, you know, coyotes and things that... That tend to wander around, deer tend to wander around at night, you know. And I, I thought about that as I was walking down the driveway and I got my flashlight and I turned my flashlight on, you know, on my phone. Our dogs are in the backyard and they're not worried about the coyote coming or 
something. You know why? Because I got a fence. The fence makes it, is the fence there because I hate the dogs? No, the fence is there because I love the dogs. And guess what? The dogs love the fence. You just think about that illustration if it doesn't make sense to you. But foundation number three, Scripture is our sole authority, not only for the church, but for our lives. For our lives. Notice what it said in verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, Scripture is clear. I'm getting to the doctrine called the clarity of Scripture here. Scripture alone provides clear content. It provides the content that brings us to maturity in our faith. You don't invent the content. You don't need the world's content. Wayne Grudem defines the clarity of Scripture this way. The Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who read it, seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. <laughs> that last part's important, isn't it? Now remember, what we are not teaching is contrary to what Scripture's already taught us. Joey taught us this last week. The Scripture is God's redeemed people brought together to live in community, and we grow together. Community is important. It is essential. It is assumed in the Bible. Paul's letters were written to who? <laughs> the church. The community of the believers. But listen, people can grow anywhere and enjoy it. We have people that enjoy all kinds of things. I enjoy working with wood. Joey enjoys golfing. Somebody else enjoys fishing. Some people just enjoy working alone, working, farming, whatever it is. You can grab a group of people and you can have community and good community around anything. What this is telling us is that the church gathers our community around Scripture. It's right in the middle. And we dare not move it. Scripture is sufficient. It is clear. It is sufficient to provide. Listen. The standard for the good. And then give us the work to do. To equip us for every good work. It's amazing that we have to think this way. But we do. What is good? <laughs> what is the good work? You've heard that say, don't you? You know, everybody can do good work. Scripture is sufficient to provide, listen, the standard for good. Scripture defines what good is. Things done in accordance to God's will for the right reasons. Matter of fact, Scripture has what we call in it the indicatives and the imperatives. The indicatives and the imperatives. All through Scripture, you, you just, most of the time we just read, oh, read over them. The indicatives in the Bible is what's telling us the facts. It's telling us this is bad. This is good. This is, in other words, the way it is. And it does that so then it can tell us what we should do. The work. These are the imperatives. These are the commands given to God's blood-bought people. Let's practice. 
Turn with me to 1 Peter. And believe it or not, I am almost to the, to the so what. So don't get excited. 1 Peter 2. I just want you to see this. It's one particular application of why we believe Scripture is so important to us in our life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Everybody got it? This is the interactive part of our the message today. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Is that a statement of fact or is that a command that you're supposed to do? Hmm? It's a statement telling us who we are. There's nothing to do there. But, but now notice it, it, it wraps this up into purpose and and, and also a, a command of purpose, what we're supposed to do. That you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness to his marvelous light. Listen to this, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. Is there, in verse 10, is there an imperative? No. I'm just telling you the facts. Is who you were. Now it's who you are, right? Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. What is that? Got an indicative or an imperative? It's an imperative. Every single one of you can read your Bible and teach a Bible study just like that. You with me? Stop overthinking this thing, brothers and sisters. We got people even in leadership. Overthink all of it. Indicative, imperative application. Right? You've just led your first Bible study. Indicative, imperative. What am I going to do with it? Where do we get that from? Not from something we got off the internet. We do it. Sola Scriptura. This is what we build our life on. This is how you make disciples. All you need to make disciple is your Bible and an active life of reading. So what? How am I currently responding to God-given authority in my life? I, I, I chose this question because it's core. Been doing this a while. And before I was a pastor... I run a business. I don't know how many people in business that, that we've hired and fired over the years. But I can tell you this is the problem. And apparently it's not just a problem in the human experience. Apparently it was even a problem in the supernatural experience because how did Satan become Satan? Well, let me just read it for you. Isaiah 14 verse 12 says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Here's my question for you this morning. If a desire to be one's authority destroyed Satan, 
Do you think it won't destroy you? It is a dangerous, destructive, and even damning way to think. We must have an authority in our life. And there is no authority over, over than God. And God has spoken and he gave us his scripture. And so it's easy to say then, well, pastor, it sounds like what you're saying is that as long as I got my Bible, who cares what you say? You know, I don't need, I don't really need, we don't really need parents, right? Just give the child a Bible, send him on his merry way. You know, good luck. Like birds kicking him out of the nest. You give him a Bible, go. Is that, is, that what it, is that what this means this morning? No, why not? Because Scripture ordains lesser authorities and commands us to, as citizens to submit, commands us as church members to submit, and commands us as children to submit to our parents. Scripture calls for us to do that. Just a couple of passages. Again, 1 Peter 2.13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So if we hit the pause button and say, What did God institute government for? It's telling us right there. God did it. Is he, he designed these things. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom to cover up for evil, but live as servants of God. Verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Some of us need to Repent. Because when, when you pick up these worldly slogans to make fun of people that God has put in power, you are acting contrary to Scripture. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders. These are speaking of pastors, your elders. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. Not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. So I know that many of us in our life have had some kind of bad authority experience, either with the church or in the home. Could be in your workplace. And so we hop around from church to church, or maybe from, you know, boyfriend to boyfriend, or girlfriend to girlfriend, or, or job to job, or whatever it is. You cannot hop away from your authority because Scripture is your authority. Quit, we must quit using bad authority figures as the reason to not love authority. We must go to Scripture when we go to a church, when we, before we get married, before we do anything in our life, we say, what does the Bible say? And I'm going I'm to wrap my my life around it. It's going to be the standards that I expect. It's going to be the ditches that I expect people to stay in. And, and if it's not, I will not. But if it will, I will lock arms with that. We don't need to rebel against authority because God gave it to us. Another question. 
how much weight is Scripture playing in just in your everyday decisions? And I don't bring this up to, to scare you. I'm not, I'm not trying to start a doomsday preppers. Uh, but there was an interview this week, and it sort of changed the end, the application of for how I wanted to end. It was an interview that I believe it was Fox News. I can't remember. Uh, I think he did set a couple of interviews for different news stations. Um, interviewing Elon Musk. If you don't know him, you probably need to. Uh, what he was discussing was the danger of artificial intelligence in our day. Which is ironic if you know his background, right? And uh, he, He's not the only one being interviewed about this. They interviewed the head guy at Google as well. What was amazing is as they began to say that these supercomputers that they are putting together, that you can look from outer space and you can see their heat signature. That's how big they are. And that there are people, actual people like me and you, that are programming and implementing these, these, this artificial intelligence. It had put an end, so to speak, the foundations, the framework of which that artificial intelligence will then begin to grab a hold of and begin to use. Do you know that even as a pastor, I can go to a website right now and artificial intelligence will write a sermon better than I can put together. It can write a story. It can write a poem. It can do it. Just, just put it in there. And it has all that, it has the ability, and I'm not saying it sounds like watching it, it sounds like the stuff of movies that we watched in 1992 or something, but it's, it's happening now. That artificial intelligence, he was talking in a very dry way like he talks about what would happen one day if, the, if they keyed in a command to stop and it didn't stop. But as, as you listen to this interview, the issue came down to this. Who is the arbiter of truth? Did we not think that a secular worldview that said the powerful must survive, if you put that in an artificial intelligence where it might end? It matters. It matters what we believe. Who is the arbiter of truth in your life going to be? This is an important question because this mess is growing faster than the guys who started it can control it. We cannot go to the internet or to the news networks to be the arbiter of truth. We cannot trust in even our colleges to be the arbiter of truth. And yet if you go to any of these schools, most of our students now are being schooled on a computer. It's dangerous. We better be wake up to it. The world is dangerous and it's getting more dangerous. He compared this to the nuclear weapon of our day and the danger that it is in the future. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm bringing it to say that what is the truth by which you're willing to lay your life down for, that you're willing to build your life on? What truth would you stake your life on this morning? These, these guys that are on top of the food chain and these things have no absolute truth. 
So what standard do you think they're going to lay out for us? They have nowhere to go. But we, brothers and sisters, are people of the book. And so today, let's, let's say this unapologetically. Are we Protestants? You bet we are. And I'm calling us to be bold Protestants in a compromising world. Clinging to Scripture alone for truth. To root us, to guide us, to grow us, to prepare us, to protect us. And to tell us what lies ahead. Interesting, the first and last scene of that cheesy movie on William Tyndale. The opening scene was this little young boy and he was plowing a field. And of course, you don't think anything of it. They're laying, their, they're starting their storyline, their narrative. As the credits, at the end of the movie, as the credits rolled, they had that little plow boy and he was sitting under a tree and he was reading his Bible. Little did he know what it cost so that he could read it. And so, brothers and sisters, let us determine today no matter what age you are, what are you going to build your life on? Who is your soul authority? And what will you stake it on? Let's stake it on the Bible. Let's pray. So, Lord, a lot is said, a lot could be said when it comes to this issue of Scripture alone. I pray that you have sparked an interest we do thank you for our imperfect brothers and sisters in the past that have labored for things that we so richly enjoy. And, uh, we give you glory for them, for their life that they live, for their conviction. And we pray that we would be people that would grab the book to know it, to know you, and to, to live our lives from it. We have no need to fear, Lord. Because we will be people of the book. And you will take us where you want us to go. And so now, Lord, we've just gathered here today to say thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel that is contained in this word, for this good news. Thank you for this message that Christ came that's why we're celebrating communion here today, God, to remember your son, his body and his blood poured out for us. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness, for reconciliation to you through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have brought a family together from all over the place. We are not all the same, but we are all one in Christ. And for that, we give thanks. We thank you for your church that is today worshiping you all over the world. And now, Lord, receive our worship through song, through communion, through our offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.